The following is a Westminster Seminary, California morning devotion given by Dr. Stephen Baugh. For more information about this message or about Westminster Seminary, California, visit us online, wscal.edu, or call 888-480-8474. Online, wscal.edu, or call 888-480-8474. I'll be reading to you from Matthew chapter 1. If you want to simply listen, you're welcome to. Or read along Matthew 1, verses 18 through the end of the chapter. Hear now the word of the Lord. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man, and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins." All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but he knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. So we're having Christmas today. I told a pastor this, I'm preaching for him Sunday using this passage, so I'm doing double duty like many of you do. Frankly, I can't resist this passage anyway. And I said, we're having Christmas Sunday, sorry you'll miss it. He said, oh, it's Christmas every Lord's Day. I said, yeah, but it's really going to be Christmas this time. <laughs> this is Christmas. This is, we just sang on the edge of Christmas, and now we read about Christmas. Now we read that familiar story about Christmas. Interesting, this is kind of typical of the Gospels. This is a story about Joseph, but Jesus is kind of looming in the background. He, he looms in the background of all these stories. And as we'll say in a moment, this is the bookend of Matthew. This is the first place where you hear about God with us. And then Matthew ends, I will be with you, even to the end of the age. See, this is, this is how Matthew is arranged. God with us, Jesus with us. That's how you are supposed to read Matthew. Uh, and here we have this very overtly portrayed to us. But it's about Joseph. And I don't want you to overlook the fact that Joseph is front and center here. Uh, and I think there's a reason why, as we'll see in a moment. Now, it says here that Joseph was a just man, you could say, a righteous man, an upright man. And it's seen here with his dealings with Mary, who's found to be with child, even though they're betrothed. And in the first century world of the Jewish world, uh, she was, in essence, married to Joseph, even though the marriage hadn't taken place yet. After they they are engaged, they are betrothed, Um, they are de facto married, so that Joseph really had two options before him. 
One, he could have Mary stoned because she committed adultery. This is in accordance with the command in Leviticus 20. Of course, this is a problem with the Romans in control because they wouldn't allow the Jews to execute capital punishment. But according to the law, Mary could have been stoned for adultery. Uh, so that was one of his options, which is interesting to that our text says, now Joseph was a righteous man. You would think that would mean he was interested in keeping the letter of the law perfectly. So she stoned. And yet it says he's a righteous man and he was considering putting her away quietly, divorcing her quietly. So it is interesting in Deuteronomy 24, there is a provision in the law that if a, in this situation, it's actually after they're married, but if, if a, a couple is married and the wife has found that she's not a virgin, the husband can divorce her quietly. So that is allowed in the law, so that's a second option. But Joseph kind of goes the second, uh, you know, the second mile here. He's going to put her away, but quietly. And I think that's very interesting because if he puts her away quietly, it's because, as our text says, she may not be shamed. He has her best interests in mind. But look at, you may be thinking, well, you know, why didn't he just marry her anyway? You know, go through the marriage that was already committed by contract through this uh, betrothal. The problem with that is if, if Joseph takes Mary in, he's declaring publicly to his neighbors that he's the father, that he is the natural father of Mary. And, you know, he was concerned about his public reputation. So that may be why we have this reference to, to Joseph being a righteous man. He was concerned about his public reputation because he didn't do this thing. Uh, and he just was concerned that he would maintain his good standing in his community for not, you know, being taken as the father of Jesus. Now, as this story goes on, his righteousness is shown in other ways. It, it really opens in an interesting way, and it, um, it, it shows uh, something else about Joseph that I want you to consider. It says that he'd already committed, so this is in verse 19, he'd resolved to divorce her quietly. So he's already committed to that course of action. But then in verse 20 it says, but as he considered these things, he's hesitant. So he's already made a decision but he doesn't go through with it. And I think it shows you something about Joseph. He wants to do it very carefully. He, he's, he's not rash. See, he could have rashly acted as soon as he found out that Mary was pregnant. He could have acted just, you know, the law's clear, here's what we're doing. And then, you know, that day, just made the decision and made everybody made it clear to everybody what he was doing. But he's, he's pondering these things because he's trying to figure out the wisest way to go and how to do this well without harming her and without harming his reputation. And so it could be that he's just not, you know, really skilled in making these decisions. He's probably about 18, uh, so we'll give him a little break for that. He's not 
you know, he, he, that's kind of typically the age of a young man being married in that society. And Mary would have been 13 or 14, so, and he hadn't really had a lot of dealings with her yet. So Joseph is just this kind of guy. He's a humble man. But his righteousness comes out as this story unfolds in ways that are very interesting. You know, Joseph doesn't appear very much in our texts of the New Testament. He really only appears here, and then he's mentioned as the father of Jesus a couple of other places. And then, of course, in Luke, it says his parents took Jesus to Jerusalem, but he's not mentioned by name. But have you, I don't know if you notice this, but Joseph never says anything in the Gospels. There's no reported speech of Joseph at all. He's a quiet man. He, he's resolved. He's, he's thinking, but he's, he's just not a guy who's put forward. So in a sense, he's a humble man, but he's an upright man. Because look what happens when he wakes up from this dream. We're told in verse 24, when Joseph woke from his sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. It's interesting, this, this, we, we think of angels announcing things. Okay, here's, you know, here's some interesting information. But this, this is an angel of the Lord giving a commandment to Joseph. So he has to obey because this comes from the Lord. So let's see if his righteousness is biblical righteousness, if he's really concerned with obeying the Lord and not humans. So here's what he does. He wakes up and he did as the angel commanded. He took his wife and he knew her not until he had given, she had given birth and he called his name Jesus. He didn't say they, he did it. He initiated this. He says, no, his name's Jesus. That's, that was his responsibility. Now, he's behind all this because he's, he's really becoming the father of Jesus. See, this humble man was chosen by God to be the earthly adoptive father of Jesus. He's, G Jesus is now brought into Joseph's family. You know, the genealogy that opens Matthew, which is a very important text, showing that Jesus comes from people. He comes for his people. As it says here, he came to uh, eradicate the sins of his people and save the, his people from their sins. You want to know what those people look like? You have a list of them right there at the opening of Matthew, which includes a prostitute, Gentiles, people who sin, uh, the wife of, of the Hittite. <laughs> it's like... It's like, oh yeah, <laughs> there's adultery going on with David. This is this is this is the this is the people ending with Joseph. See, Joseph is the culmination of that genealogy. And now Joseph, by accepting Mary, accepts Jesus. So that he Jesus is now his son by adoption. That is that is how this works. Because now Jesus is in Joseph's house. So that later, in John 6, for example, they say, they refer to Jesus as the son of Joseph. Not the natural son we know, but the adoptive son, so that he's in his household. And here's the irony of this, this whole situation. Here's the beautiful irony of this gospel story. Joseph 
takes Jesus into his household so that Jesus will take Joseph into God's household. That's how this works. Because Jesus comes as Emmanuel, God with us, to save his people from their sins, and then that God can be with us. And that means that we can be brought in by adoption into God's household through the Son. The Son of God came that this Son of David would be brought in to the household of God. And God provided that this man, this humble man, would bring Jesus into his household. But then it's reversed. My brothers and sisters, having Jesus come as Emmanuel is just so interesting because it says, you know, it, it's almost like Matthew is winking at us and nudging us to say, yeah, his name's Emmanuel, wink, wink, nudge, nudge, which means God with us, which, by the way, is in the Greek translation of the Old Testament in Isaiah 8, not in the Hebrew. It might be somewhere in the Hebrew, but I couldn't find it. I'm, I'm going to keep looking. But the Greek translation has these words exactly. God with us is God. It puts it that way. And so this, this gospel starts out God with us. But then it ends up with Jesus. After he's paid for the sins of his people on the cross and he's been raised by the glory of the Father, that he may ascend to the Father's right hand to rule forever, that he has the power to bring us into his presence, that, that nothing will harm us to that end. We will not be lost from his hand so that on the last day we will be raised, we will hear his voice when he calls us by name to enter into the glory of the Father that he has won for us. And he says, now look, I am with you continually even to the end of this age. That's how Matthew ends. So it opens with God with us and ends with Jesus with us because that's God with us. And that's not, this is not the only place where this happens. This happens elsewhere in Scripture. In fact, it's how the Bible ends. Let me read to you from Revelation 21. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and he himself will be with them as their God. Revelation 22. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city, also on either side of the river. The tree of life with its twelve kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him, and they will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads, and night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. You won't have need of the Son because you'll be in the presence of God forever and ever. Brothers and sisters, we live our lives in light of Christmas. And for us as Christians, 
Christmas means this, God with us, which means Jesus with us. The Holy Son of God came to redeem his people from their sins. Let's pray. Almighty God, our Father, we thank you for these beautiful truths. May we live in light of this Christmas message day in and day out, always calling upon your name as Emmanuel. For you did not leave us abandoned, orphaned, lost in sin, but you came down for us. You came for us. You didn't just save us from afar, O oh Lord. You came for us. You came here for us. You came to be among us as one of us, to live with us, to die for us, to be raised on our behalf, that we may dwell with you forever. Protect us to that end. Grant that we may live our lives in gratitude before you in, in that light, that we may shine as stars in heaven in the future that we look forward to day in and day out. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Copyright 2018, Westminster Seminary, California. All rights reserved. You are permitted to reproduce and distribute this material in any format, provided that you do not alter the wording in any way and that you do not charge a fee beyond the cost of reproduction. For web posting, a link to this document on our website is preferred.